we won't be in a fucking kung fu fight. I know that for sure. We're gonna be in a fight fight. So uh, I ain't tripping on no kung fu black belt. If anything, I'm I, I know kung. Everybody's fu. kung fu fighting. I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about. Everybody's kung fu fighting. What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast, where today we've got a kind of cool, kind of weird uh, UFC Fight Night card to get into. Uh, seems to be this is the thing you do around the holiday season. You have a Derek Lewis main event, and then a Stephen Thompson main event on a weirdly good card, and then a weird middleweight main event. Didn't end up doing an episode last week because the Derek Lewis main event ended up being a change last minute to uh, Kennedy and Zetchikwu versus Iwan Kutalaba as a fucking main event. That card was a fucking embarrassment, so we decided to take a week off. But this card, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I think the weirdest part about the card is that the main event and co-main event, you could have swapped the fighters in any order than what the fights are, and it probably would have been more fun. I, I don't know. You, you, it feels like at this point you could just put these guys in any old order, really. <laughs> yeah, it's neat no matter what. Well, let's get on into it anyway. Uh, Stephen Thompson's fighting Kevin Holland, which is a fight that ever since it was announced, sometimes I think about it for a minute. And then I'm like, nah, this fight's weird. I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's weird. Um... I guess the one thing that sticks out to me immediately, which I mean, is pretty fucking obvious, but it's just like the reach disadvantage. Stephen Thompson, I, I can't really think of him ever having fought someone anywhere near as long as tall and Kevin as Kevin Holland, and Kevin Holland as well has, you know, a, a long range kind of style, and Stephen Thompson. You know, his defense really is all just about his footwork. And he has pretty good footwork as it goes for MMA. Um, good awareness of where he is in the cage. He's good, like, quick darting footwork where he can just take uh, nice little angles to square people up for good straight punch counters. Very fast, and accurate. And, like, maybe Kevin Holland being predominantly a straight hitter and straight kicker kind of plays into Stephen Thompson's strengths. Um, with kind of preferring to just sidestep linear shots to uh, uh, counter with his own uh, straight punches and kicks. But, like, obviously it, it, it's the stupid Chud thing to just be like, oh, bro, why, why didn't he have his hands up? But Stephen Thompson never has his hands up, like, ever. There's, there's, there's no reason not to just idly have one hand protecting your chin. <laughs> um, so it just seems like he's really liable to get caught on exits by someone just like who's fast um and has this kind of reach advantage on him like kind of the way he did i guess against anthony pettis except instead of having to like literally leap across distance to land that kind of punch kevin holland can just do it from where he's standing um and you know stephen thompson has had remarkable longevity 
uh, it doesn't seem like his athletic attributes have degraded that much. Like, he still seems pretty durable, pretty quick. But, you know, he's been getting up there for a while and is, is taking long breaks between fights. You can't be surprised if he just completely falls off a cliff at some point. Um, and then I guess Kevin Holland might wrestle? Yeah, something weird that strikes me in the matchup is I'm not sure that we've seen Kevin Holland like genuinely hurt, aside from when he got headbutted so violently that it would have hurt anybody. Or like anyone could have gotten hurt by the headbutt in the Dawkins fight. And even then, he didn't get put unconscious. He just got fucked up real badly and then was like fine two minutes later. Um, after the fight had been finished, but it 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 strikes me as a matchup where Kevin Holland could accidentally like fail upwards into like winning situations. Yeah. So he's he's very durable. He he can take a body shot really well. And Stephen Thompson, not the most consistent body hitter, but like he he does it. And if he, he'll kick the body, he, yeah, he'll kick the body, and he has nice straights to the body. I just don't really think his type of shot selection is the type of real way that you're gonna affect Holland with body shots down the stretch. It being five rounds does favor Wonderboy, I believe. Uh, Holland's gone five rounds, but he's lost every single five-round fight he's had. Yeah, against huge, grindy, middleweight wrestlers. Yeah, ob- objectively different matchups, but and his cardio seems to not really be a liability, but we've seen Wonderboy, one, be able to pace himself at, at uh, five-round fights, and two, go really fucking hard for five for three rounds or, or longer. Yeah, I mean, he went pretty hard for five rounds against Jeff Neal. Yeah, like, he, he is able to maintain a pace that even long in his old age. I, I also think that the way that Holland likes to set up his punches just gives him, gives Wonderboy, like, way too many opportunities to get out of the way. Uh, Wonderboy isn't, like, a defensive savant by any means, but he's pretty aware, and Holland is subtle in some ways, but... In the ways that lead to him actually hurting people, he's he's anything but subtle. Pretty much just the walking Buckley knockout is like a subtle thing that he landed. Everything else was more just a, a factor of his speed and length. Yeah, I could definitely also just see some wacky shit where he just leaps into the pocket with a weird kind of hook that he can only land because he has such a weird frame. Um, like the shot that he dropped Alex Oliveira with. Was, was just weird. And, you know, Stephen Thompson, his feet really are the only line of defense that he particularly has. But when he's in the pocket, he's kind of just relying on... The quick head movement, not necessarily good or structured. Yeah, just having good eyes, um, being really fast and accurate, and just having the experience to know when he can take those gambits. He is just uh, liable to get chinned on the exits by weird hooks and stuff. Uh, I don't know. We've been talking about this fight. I still don't really know what's going to happen. I'm, I've got to pick Kevin Holland just because, like you say, he has so many ways to just kind of win by accident and Wonderboy, you know, lost his last two fights to really concerted top control performances. And in the case of the one against Gilbert Burns, it was a, it was an ugly fight that, Burns barely scraped by with, and you know Bilal Muhammad has since shown himself to be genuine top five material at welterweight. Um, Kevin Holland, as much as he also, as much as he has all of the ways to win by accident, he also is liable to just throw the fight away, kind of fucking around. I can see him just doing a lot of like martial arts poses and fist bumping 
and and just uh, and just not really fighting the fight that he needs to 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 get the job done. Yeah, I I think that there is way too many intangibles for this fight to lend itself to any uh like genuine analysis. It's more just kind of I, I don't know, like a, a lot of assumptions you have to make to be able to do any form of analysis, like just go by the, what their style is, not necessarily how they match up with each other. Because, I, I don't know, I think the one thing that I'm pretty confident in is that if they clinch up, Holland is going to be a, a terror for uh, Wonderboy just off of the ability to threaten takedowns and the fact that Wonderboy has so much more distance to escape through than he normally has against other people. Normally, his margin for error of getting out of range is pretty... Like it was pretty low margin because he's he doesn't have to, or a pretty high margin. I mean, because he he just needs to get out of the way, uh, which he's he's fast enough to where he can just like kind of zoom out against people or like duck out at a quick angle. Whereas Kevin could spin into something uh, to like catch him, even if he gets behind him, he can just reach really far. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I guess I feel the need to point out is that I'm pretty sure this is going to be back in the big octagon. Yeah, I'm honestly not even sure how much that affects either guy. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it normally seems to be something that would favor Stephen Thompson. I, I would say definitely would have um, against Bilal Mohamed. Would, you know, literally would have given him more room in that matchup. But I, now that I've brought it up, I'm like, how does that necessarily even play into this fight? Yeah, something to wonder is... Uh... Could kind of the same thing that got Wonder Boy knocked out by Pettis arise? Where yeah, he's just he's just real creative, and Holland is rangy, and he wouldn't even have to jump to land that far away of a strike like exactly. Pettis did. But then again, Wonder Boy, he seems like a guy that would kind of learn from that mistake, and it was a one-off thing where he got knocked out, and then he proceeded to go fight people that hit really hard and be completely fine. Uh. It was just he got chinned by a former lightweight champion that's very dynamic. It happens. And then uh, I, I think something very strange in the matchup is that I wouldn't be at all surprised if Wonderboy just has the goods to outclass Holland. But I also wouldn't be surprised if, though we haven't seen Holland fight anyone remotely similar to Wonderboy, if he just comes in with an approach of, I will the crash into this guy and kind of just eat a shot and then grab onto him and then get him to the ground and beat the absolute dog shit out of him. Because Wonderboy is... He is a good defensive grappler, but he is not good enough at defensive grappling for me to think someone like Holland wouldn't just be able to fuck him up through strength and like leverage in weird uh, clinch positions. Yeah, and Kevin Holland has nasty ground and pound when he gets good position. Filthy. He has and, serious, weird long boy power. <laughs> Filthy and Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns nearly like finished Wonder Boy with ground and pound at points. Yeah. So if Holland just lands like a good elbow, it could be fucking nasty. And but honestly, uh, now that now that we're talking about it more, I kind of think the five rounds maybe does favor Kevin Holland more, just because again my pick is coming down a lot to. Uh, uh, just momentum and age and dynamicism. So just like, it, it really seems like, although Stephen Thompson has a lot of tools to make Kevin Holland look pretty stupid, he he kind of just has to have a perfect performance where Kevin Holland doesn't either just accidentally find the way to win 
or actually like get mad because he's losing and feel like he needs to make an adjustment, which like, he, he is capable of doing. And it seems like he takes fighting more seriously now. So, And something I want to bring up just like for posterity's sake is wouldn't be that surprised if Wonder Boy just capitalized on the fact that Holland has some of the most exaggerated defensive maneuvers you will ever see in MMA. He he can duck like almost to his knees if he's like kind of kind of creeped out enough by an exchange, and, and he tries to get out of the way of things just for the sake of getting out of the way of it a lot of the time. Even oh, you're right, Christian. I'm picking Stephen Thompson by wheel kick. Yeah, like would you be at all surprised if uh, Kevin just like ducks really hard and then gets like like blasted by a a step back straight? Uh, I'd be surprised if it knocked him out. Yeah, I would be as well, but it doesn't. I I can't imagine it would take that many uh, of, of the exact same thing landing over and over and over, especially at welterweight, where uh, traditional logic would assume that his chin would be a little bit worse there uh, than it has traditionally been at like middleweight. But then again, his chin looked fine, but he also hasn't fought someone that's the type of hitter that Wonderboy is. Yeah, also, has Kevin Holland ever fought someone as fast as old Wonderboy? No, and and something very difficult for both guys in the matchup is that they really haven't fought the same type of fighter at all. Like Wonderboy hasn't fought someone with that frame or that kind of weird propensity for dynamic shits to happen with that frame, especially. And Holland's grappling could be a bit of an X factor because if he gets on top of him, maybe he completely ragdolls Wonderboy. Maybe he can't get him at all. Who knows? It's kind of hard to tell because we haven't seen Holland try to fight this type of matchup ever. And we haven't seen either guy really deal with just a striker uh, of this kind of mold before. Like Holland barely even fights strikers. Like Tim Means it was one of the first strikers he's fought in a long time. And Alex Oliveira, more of like a, a guy that'll just do whatever. Like he's, he's lanky, but he's also not the type of guy that's going to be that much of a difficulty for Holland. Uh, the longer he's given to make adjustments. Yeah. And, He's pretty washed now. Washed and also breaks all the time. Whereas Wonderboy has gotten his shit rocked for like three rounds straight and just been fine and continued going on trying to win. And Holland also, he's really fucking tough. Like he got his ass beat uh, for like 15 rounds straight or some shit. And then was just like, yeah, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'll still take a fight with Kamaev after a couple wins. But still, the, like the merit remains. Yeah, and it is weird about Stephen Thompson that like you have to assume that that he's slowing down in his old age. But I don't know if the Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad losses are even definite, even necessarily indications of that. When it's like kind of never fought guys like that, we hadn't really seen him tested in those ways. And like I, I said. Uh, Recently, I was going to stop picking old guys coming off of losses and long layoffs to look good. Um, so I'm not going to do it. Uh, I think Stephen Thomas is just going to get knocked out by something weird at some point. Um, but I don't know. This this, this fight, I don't, like, it should be fun. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Holland's weird uh, defensive liabilities just got him head kicked at some point. Because, you know, anyway, everyone's got a chin until they eat, like, 
a f- completely flush kick that they didn't see coming. And Holland turns his head away all the time, which is leads to the back of the head kick that Wonder Boy is known for. Uh, he's overreacts to most things that you throw at him. And just the fact that it's very possible that uh, Kevin Holland will just fight dumb. Because sometimes people just fight dumb when they fight Wonder Boy. And it's Kevin Holland. Yeah, Kevin Holland always fights a little dumb, but sometimes it's uh, to his benefit. I don't think it would be to his benefit, though, in this fight. I think he kind of has to pare his game down a bit to to have a reliable path to victory. He fought like pretty dumb against uh, Alex Oliveira, but it was just always going to work, and it was probably an easier way to get Alex Oliveira out of there to just like repeatedly crash into him and just do wacky shit. So I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick him to do that again. I'm gonna pick him to fight dumb and still win. That is fair. I, I'm gonna pick. Uh, I, I think Holland by like slam TKO. Oh my god! Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be something like that, right? But I I want to make sure that I state I very much would not be surprised if Wonder Boy finds a way to just snipe him repeatedly, and the height difference doesn't matter that much because Holland. He shortens himself a lot whenever he's moving weird and on, especially going forward, his defense is almost non-existent. Also, the, just the way that he reacts whenever people blitz at him, like watching the Joaquin Buckley fight, it's a lot of turning his shoulder and then trying to keep his eyes on the opponent while lightly rolling with some stuff and just kind of eating it. He really might just get Whereas, kicked in the brainstem doing that. Yeah, he might just get kicked in the brainstem. He might just get volume boxed until he gets overcommitted to an exchange and then gets like flushed with a left hook. Or he might just follow Wonderboy around, letting him like duke his straight sidekick him. Yeah, and side and sidekick him and just have the fight that Jeff Neal did. Yeah, could just get jabbed up for five rounds. Wouldn't be that surprised. So yeah, any and all of these things could happen. Um uh, yeah, we got Rafael dos Anjos versus Brian Barberena. Yeah, this fight's weird too. I haven't heard anything specific about this, but I feel like there's a good chance that this is RDA's retirement fight. It feels like a squash match. It does a little bit, um, you know, just from the fact that he was down. He, you know, he was just down at lightweight, fighting like meaningful contenders. Um, you know, he ended up fighting triathlon Paul Felder, but he was trying to get fights with Makachev for a long time. And then he gets chinned by Fizzy in what was still a good performance. And now he's back up at welterweight, fighting a kind of washed before his time fan favorite action fighter. Is Brian Barberena even a, even a fan favorite, or, or do I just like him? I think he's a fan favorite enough to where they're going to give him a co-main it's really just the Luke fight that got him so much goodwill, and now the recent Robbie Lawler performance was so sick that people are very high on him. And there was the Matt Brown fight yeah. as well. But it is worth noting that um, it was like two fights ago we were talking about Brian Bar- Brian Barberena like he was never going to win a fight again, and he has managed to scrape together a couple of like nice wins over like old legends of the uh, division in Matt Brown and Robbie Lawler. But those were fucking vicious wars where pretty much the thing that kept Brian Barberena in the fight was just his conditioning. And I mean, there was still an argument that he lost that Matt Brown fight where 
by the third round, Matt Brown was just dog shit tired, like Mark Coleman, hands on his knees tired. Um, and he kind of just also, you know, Barbarina also kind of just got his ass whooped by old Robbie Lawler until old Robbie Lawler got tired uh, getting to do classic Robbie Lawler shit and, you know, Brian Barbarina came back and put the volume on him. It, like, like I said, RDA still looked pretty good against Rafael Fazeev, who was clearly a top contender in the making at lightweight and is a just um, terrifying physical force for the weight as well. Um, when he went most of five rounds before he got knocked out, and and if if you if your plan is to get shit kicked by Rafael dos Anjos and wait for him to get tired and come back, that's not going to work. You're just going to get shit kicked by Rafael dos Anjos for the whole fight. Like when he has initiative and gets the ball rolling, he's a fucking monster. Yeah, you have to look at the way that RDA beat uh, Robbie Lawler when Robbie was considerably less shot versus the way that Brian Barberena had to. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah, RDA just beat the fucking brakes off him because he injured his leg early and then was like, cool, I'm just going to steamroll this guy. Absolutely molly whopped him for 25 minutes straight at no point. It's like, it didn't even really sit on the lead at any point. Um, you know, gets Hanato Moicano coming in on short notice. Hanato Moicano, you know, a good fighter who may, in fact, just be coming into his prime at lightweight, absolutely beat the shit out of him. 25 minutes straight, did like, fight probably should have been stopped at several points. I, I, I think this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a brutal shit kicking. Also, like, Brian Barbarain is a southpaw and RDA can just low kick the fuck out of uh, fellow southpaws. He loves fighting southpaws because it opens up his leg kicking game so much. Mm-hmm. And Brian Barbarina is also very leg kickable independent of the style matchup. Um, RDA is probably going to be able to get takedowns work Barbarina from top as well. I think he'll take him down into side control pretty much whenever he wants to. Yeah. yeah. So... Okay, so we've mostly been talking about why it's going to be uh, an easy win for RDA. What are Brian Barbarina's things that that he has to get into this fight? I was just going to say Brian Barbarina's got that dog in him. It's basically the gist of it. It's Stylistically, he doesn't have that much to give aside from he does throwaways and RDA reacts and and is maybe a little overreactive to offense from his opponent sometimes. Uh, Brian Barberena also, he knows how to like pick up the pace and start going forward. RDA doesn't prefer to go backwards at all. But I can't really see him able to keep RDA going backwards if RDA doesn't just let him, which RDA doesn't ever let people do things to him. He he always gives some resistance. You have to have something in the matchup to be able to get yeah, it. Yeah, and there. I guess there's the clinch. Uh, Barberena is sneaky in the clinch. Like He can get good offense off there. He did well there. Against Matt Brown, who's like one of the better offensive clinches in the sport ever, um, he's he's sneaky there, but RDA is diligent. Yeah, there. like uh, and, and RDA does need he, like he kind of needs his clinch to be able to nullify people who want to push him back. And if you can meet him there and get takedowns on him, then the wheels kind of start falling off. Um, other than that, you've really got to like capitalize on singular moments where you can. Um, get him moving backwards and like catch him on the exits where he can be 
kind of wrote and take his eye off the ball as MMA fighters are want to do when they're moving backwards, which is how like Eddie Alvarez and Rafael Fazeev knocked him out. Uh, again, Brian Barberena, he is himself like kind of a snowballing volume guy. And I think RDA just has all of the tools to shut that down before it can ever get going, particularly against, like I say, a version of Brian Barberena who just kind of had his prime taken away from him by a series of uh, horrible wars and really unfortunate injuries and surgeries. He is more weathered and past it than RDA, I think. Yeah, which is and crazy. At his peak, he wasn't, you know, lightweight champion material. Yeah. He he was just a very, very good fighter. Um Okay, so Mateus Nicola was fighting Matt Schnell. That's a cool fight. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna start off by saying I think Matt Schnell is going to get knocked out. You do? You do? Uh, Matt Schnell ate some of the most horrific shit that you could see a fighter eat in a fight, and he we won, but he was getting pieced up by literally the same move 15 times over and over. And Mateusz Nikolaou is, uh, I don't know, he tries hard. And he, he doesn't really like take his eye off the ball the same way Sumadarji does. I, yeah, I just don't really know if he's dynamic, as dynamic as the guys who have uh, done that kind of thing to match now. And I think I kind of finally get match now after that Sumidajri fight um I always thought he was this kind of like uh the guy who wanted to do just neat boxing technician stuff and like cool jujitsu stuff like a like a Mads Bunnell or something and I think I've realized that he's he he's become this like Benil Dariush-esque like boxer puncher who it seems like he's been chinned horribly so many times that he's at the point where he just fights like a guy who has no fear of being killed. Or more accurately, a guy who knows what it's like to be killed and is just, is just fine with it being a, like being a possibility at this point. And uh, he will just, like repeatedly throw himself into exchanges and dare you to knock him out harder than Alessandro Pantoja did. And I mean, Alessandro Pantoja was always going to knock him out because like, yeah, he, he, he has a ridiculous chin. He hits hard as fuck and he will just like, he'll just, he'll just stand there and, and look at you, punch him and just hit you back twice as hard. And just Mateusz Nikolaou kind of being more the type to want to stay away and work with like long range kicks and straight shots and try and draw you on to like takedowns and work from top and stuff. Um, I kind of think he's just going to like concede too much of the initiative to Matt Schnell and not meet him in the exchanges where he needs to, to actually like find those moments against Matt Schnell. Um, I want to see the grappling though. It could be super interesting. Um, like, could be tons of dynamic scrambles. Matt Schnell, kind of one of the last bastions of you can't be a control grappler at flyweight. Uh, Mateusz Nikolaou is a pretty good control grappler. Um, I do think it would be difficult for Nikolaou in the matchup in the sense that he's not a finisher at all. And 
Machinel is most liable to being finished out of any losing method. It's normally if he can go to a decision, that means there's something in the matchup that allows him to compete in exchanges or keep you from, like, just kind of, like, hossing him. Because he's not a large guy at all. He's a pretty small flyweight, I, I, I tend to think. Yeah, well, like, Hegerio Bonterine had to win that fight basically just off of a couple of big counters. Yeah, and that's an entirely valid way to fight Matt Schnell. It is. Yeah, I also think that the fact that um, Nicolau is pretty decent at like front chokes is, is kind of difficult for Schnell because Schnell has a history of being uh, like choked pretty abruptly. Yeah, he, he's a little bit of a uh, Michael Chiesa thing going on where he's really good at chokes and sometimes he just gets choked. Yeah, it's just a little overeager. I feel like if you're a guy that's not a particularly good finisher at all, and you're fighting a guy like Matt Schnell, he's going to be the guy that you're going to get your finishing back against. Yeah, that is a thing. That being said, I'm going to pick Matt Schnell by um, uh, Mateusz Nikolaou uh, taking the back foot and letting Matt Schnell walk up to him and ding him with a right hand, and then like, and then Nikolaou shoots into. Um, the guillotine into triangle thing that Matt Schnell does. Um, that is fair. I'm going to say Nicolau by being like just pretty well-rounded and Matt Schnell not really having any particular avenue to hammer home uh, to like force a uh, win condition that otherwise wouldn't be there. Cool. Okay. Tatu Vass is fighting Sergei Pavlovich. Um... I mean, obviously, we're going to pick Taito Ivasa. Yeah. Might as well just get that out of the way. Yeah, but we have to give our due to Sergei Pavlovich. Uh, mm. He might actually fuck tie up something fierce. He might. Um, you know, he's he's long and can do a jab. Very strong. Yeah. And Taito Ivasa, um, you know, his defense is all distance management when he's like just pressing forward behind his, uh, his like jab and kicks. Um, but as, as soon as he's in range, like, you just punch him in the mouth. He relies pretty much solely on being a confident puncher in the pocket. Like, like he doesn't capitulate when he gets hurt and gets put in bad situations and gets put and gets put on the back foot. Like he'll always just stand his ground and swing back wild counters which can be surprisingly accurate um like literally just watch the fucking 30 second or whatever fight he had with greg hardy for a perfect example of what i'm talking about um but it's a thing that just always happens in tied to evasive fights so that's that that's a you know that that's a thing that, that that tends to save him a lot um and it was it was nearly enough against Cyril Garn. While I can see Sergei Pavlovich replicating a lot of the success Cyril Garn had just by like utilizing reach and speed and good straight shots, um, he's just like nowhere near as athletic as, as Cyril Garn in terms of just like speed and uh, like also just turns out uh, Cyril Garn's one of the most like durable and like recoverable heavyweights we've ever seen. And Pavlovich is inherently not as flighty as Gon is. Like Gon has those attributes, and he he's just elusive by virtue of moving a lot. 
whereas Pavlovich will like try and stand his ground and find more counters. I think a difficulty for Ty is that his record would kind of lead you to believe that he's more of a first-round fighter than he is. I think he's a relatively slow starter based off of... Uh, or he's, he's a relatively slow starter for someone that has so many first-round finishes, but he's, he has so many first-round finishes because he fought a ton of cans. Yeah, I think he's a two-round fighter at his best fighting good fighters. Yeah, like he, his second round is his best. Yeah, he'll figure shit out in the first round. He'll pick up the pace and capitalize more in the second round, and then he'll probably be dog shit tired in the third round. Yeah, and then even his fight against Sergei Spivak in J- JDS, he got finished in the second round. He normally either wins or loses. Uh, or you find out who's going to win or lose his fights by the end of the second round, uh, or, or like the middle point of the second round sometimes. And his chin is ridiculous, but we've seen... Um, this is only so ridiculous you can get away with your chin being at heavyweight if you fight like Taito Ibasa. Precisely. And also the fact that Pavlovich has more than just the striking route to victory. If he gets a takedown, he probably stays on top of Ty the entire round, if not finishes him within that round. Maybe. I, I but we're still picking Ty by knockout, obviously. Yeah, out of solidarity, of course. But I think it's a real fucking rough matchup for him. Pavlovich's only loss is to Alistair Overeem. Like, that is a great only loss. That is true. I, I tend to, like, conflate him with certain other heavyweights and then forget that he's actually kind of decent. Or, no, he's or, pretty good. Or like, yeah, like, relatively pretty good. So I, I feel like in this one, I just want to give him the credit that he's due because he's an annoying-to-fight fighter. Uh, Jack Hermanson is fighting Roman Delidze in... Yeah, weird uh, one. Uh, yeah. Uh, this was supposed to be Derek Brunson, right? I believe so. And I think that Roman Delidze should be explosive enough to actually kind of beat the fucking shit out of Hermanson. But also, Hermanson is a slick... He's slick when he, he gets his thing going. Like, he is remarkably able to handle himself defensively. Yeah, and Delidze also, like, should... I was thinking he also should be bad enough for Jack Hermanson to kind of just style on him. It could be a lot like the Jacare fight, like frame-wise, in the fact that, uh, I mean, Delidze is a lot faster than Jacare ever was, but that's not the reason that Hermanson beat him. It's also not the reason that old Jacare was still able to find moments in that fight against Jack Hermanson. You know, like, Jacare was like a super crafty boxer. Delidze more of just a hoss than anything, which I think actually kind of lends itself to giving Hermanson a harder fight. It may well do, um, but I, I think that's only if Hermanson does what he does against, like, Jared Cannonier and runs into the fight like, I, I, I'm the wrestler and just, like, repeatedly crashes into physical tie-ups that he can't handle until he bounces off the other guy and dies. Um, Her- Hermanson does not like... Uh, having clashes of athleticism or pace he likes to just be able to box you consistently and then get takedowns whenever he wants to and i think delidze i think delidze is, is probably going to try and hustle to get front choked uh, yeah that also very well may happen he might just like go for a stupid big explosive takedown and just get arm and guillotined immediately I feel like Hermanson has shown more awareness of his limitations in recent fights and, like, actually some effort to build on them. Um, I think you really see that in his fight against Chris Curtis. Chris Curtis, 
a lot smaller than Roman Delidze and primarily a stri- pretty much only a striker, um, but still could have given Hermanson a much rougher matchup if he wasn't on his shit. And I think it also just shows like Hermanson can play a, a game where he just works from range and just outmaneuvers his opponent and doesn't have to force those kind of tie-ups repeatedly to feel like he's getting his fight. And I feel like if he does that to Roman Delizze, like I don't know, Roman Delizze is weird because I always think of him as guy who's like not very good, but he's really violent and he's like fun. And then other people tell me that Roman Delizze is just like a, a terrible, boring grinder. I'm like, okay, I must just remember the moments where he just finishes people by accident then. Yeah, I think of him as a bulldozer at his best. Yeah, which is a way to beat Jack Hermanson. Though... It hasn't been as much of a, a path to victory against Hermanson for a, a while. And Hermanson has shown adaptability in that regard and also adaptability against Southpaws, which, though not really relevant in this matchup, is just relevant overall because he he's able to adapt to his main issue. Yeah, he, he shows that he is keying into his technical deficiencies and actually trying to improve upon them. That's always something you like to see, particularly for someone at, you know, at the, the kind of point in their career that Jack Hermanson is. And, like, the fight against Sean Strickland is, like, maybe the least informative fight I could possibly imagine uh, compared to this. Like, I can't, I can't think yeah, of anyone... Yeah, for, like, most of middleweight. Yeah, I can't think of anyone, really, that Hermanson's fought recently that is even close to a similar matchup. Like, you really have to go all the way back to 2019 with the Jared Cannonier fight before you find someone that is even remotely similar. And even then, Cannonier is a much more developed counterpuncher by that point. And Delidze's and probably more of a hoss than Delidze oh, as well. Way more of a hoss. Like he he hits way fucking harder. He's faster. He's stronger. And also, Hermanson was giving him a good fight before that. He actually got finished. Well, and I, I also think if they were to fight again now, I think Jack Hermanson would have a much better fight. If they were to fight again now, he would be more willing to, like I say, just just to try and stay away, work his ranged game, and just not not just bounce off the fucking hots. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention like the fact that whenever Hermanson loses, it's to guys like Jared Kennedy and Tiago Santos, and I think that Roman Delizze is way closer to a Jared Kennedy or, or Tiago Santos than he is to um, a Chris Curtis, an Edmund Shabazian, or a Kelvin Gastelum. Definitely a lot worse, but his style is so drastically uh, more in, in favor of having a winning matchup against Hermanson. But I'm going to pick Hermanson by jabbing him and then probably like busting his nose up and then getting him to shoot into a bad shot. And shot. Uh, I agree. Like, there's always the possibility that yeah, Delizze just crashes into Hermanson, just grabs him and flings him on his head, or just fucking blasts him up against the cage with knees and shit. Yeah, Eric Hannes is fighting Kyle Dorcas. That fight sucks. Um, I agree. Okay, Nico Price is fighting Phil Rowe. Uh, no, Eric Hannes' Kyle Dorcas is about as tepid of a fight as I can imagine. Dorcas is substantially better, I think. Uh, but he's also markedly smaller and doesn't really like handling people that are so much stronger than him. So I think Anders might actually bully Dorcas pretty easily. Yeah, he could. And, like, Dorcas is, like, he's very well-rounded and he's a really good grappler, but 
I have to wonder how his game is going to function against someone who's just dramatically stronger than him and might actually just might actually just be able to deny Dorcas's grappling and grind him out in the clinch and then you know the curse of the super well-rounded fighter is how does the rest of your game function if one specific cornerstone part of it gets taken away yeah i, I don't know if eric andrews even makes middleweight so that's uh, kind of a determining factor in me thinking he's gonna beat shit out of docus though docus is like more skilled in a vacuum he doesn't like people that can bully him okay nico price is fighting phil Rowe. Uh, battle of the guys who have weird long boy power but aren't actually that athletic I don't know this fight's weird but it should be cool yeah I am actually expecting Phil Rowe to just be in too far away for Nico Price to get in any form of success and I well, Nico Price is just gonna be like oh god this guy's got weirder longer arms than I do yeah like I'm not even gonna say get consistent success because there's no way that Nico Price gets any form of consistent success in this fight I don't think but if he gets or in any fight that he yeah has... I was gonna say like I think that if he wins it's he's just gonna knock him out with the first thing he actually lands because Phil Rowe, uh, he, he, like Phil Rowe, has an all right chin, but his chin is not uh, good enough to where I'm, I'm gonna think he has any anything remotely similar to a, a chance of eating a shot from Nico Price. Then again, Nico Price hasn't really done anything with his hands in a long time. No, I feel like his power is more just the aura of knowing that he at one point was a very dangerous power hitter. But he, there's been enough evidence to where I think he might have actually like lost that ability to knock people out in interesting and unique ways. So what you're saying is this fight's going to be terrible? Um, maybe. Or Phil Rowe might just beat the no, fuck out of Nico yeah, Price. Yeah, my, my actual assumption is that Phil Rowe is going to outbox Nico Price and finish him by getting Nico to back up, and then while his feet aren't under him, he gets jab-straighted. Yeah, probably. Uh, Angela Hill's fighting Emily Ducote. Cool Pretty fight. sick. A- Angela Hill, eternal gatekeeper at uh, this, uh, this uh, weight. The Emily Ducote, definitely a pretty good prospect. Um, I'm going to say Angela Hill is too fucking crafty and Emily Ducote wants to have, you know, the, the fight she wants to have just plays too much into a- Angela Hill's wheelhouse. I don't know if she, if she has, like, the either the speed to kind of just stay ahead of Angela Hill in exchanges or like the tendency to just uh, go for a bunch of takedowns. I I don't have any form of like in-depth take on this fight, but Angela Hill seems like she's been kind of slipping lately and Ducote is on the upswing. Angela's on the downswing. It's hard not. Didn't Angela Hill win her last fight? I'm still on the downswing, like like just like career momentum, and uh, yes, but I don't know. It, like Lupita is good, but Lupita is also the the smallest person that she could have possibly fought. Yeah, I guess she just fits more of a kind of style archetype of someone who I would have expected to be Angela Hill. Yeah, it's just hard for me to pick Angela Hill anymore since she's lost like four of her last five. 
Yeah, that's fair because like there is a solid chance that she'll win the fight and then get robbed. Yeah, yeah, even if she wins, like she might not win. Yeah. Um because she will gas and not always uh put like put the stamps on rounds that she needs to. And then sometimes she, she will and the, the judges just won't notice. <laughs> she she just has one of those careers. Um I I, I just think, I don't know. Em, Emily Dakota is she's gonna have a kickboxing match with Angela Hill and she's not gonna be like so fast uh that Angela Hill can't get stuff off like against Tisha Torres or like powerful enough to just uh, bully uh, Hill in exchanges like Lemosh could. Um even though, like, that fight was getting pretty fucking dicey for uh, Lemosh by the third round. But it should just be a good fight. If uh, if Dakota wins, then a solid win over a veteran for someone like her coming up. Uh, and, and then, Clay Guida's fighting yeah, Scott Holtzman. The next, Tell me about this fight, Christian. The next three fights uh, on the card are fucking sick fights with an old guy that's about to fight someone that's also kind of just been around a while but they're not necessarily an old guy none of these guys are like young guys no like it's not a young up-and-comers really aside from michael johnson and mark jacasey but even then jacasey's pretty weathered when it comes to actual jacasey's been around time. forever the closest yeah. closest thing out of one of these guys uh, to an up-and-comer out of one of these guys is like jonathan pierce and even then he's not young really like he's 30 years old he's been around but anyway, the first one, Clay Guida, Scott Holtzman. Now, you, you fucking love Clay Guida. Oh, I love Clay Guida. I think that he's going to uh, work his fucking ass off for takedowns, and Scott Holtzman might get exhausted and then uh, get maybe beaten up down the stretch. Because he's, he's just very old at this point. But the fact that he's able to hang in there for kind of longer periods of time makes me worried because... Though Clay Guida's not going to gas himself, uh, it just gives him more opportunity to actually land on Clay. And Clay's, uh, though he's in his he's in his athletic prime, as I, I will always continue beating that drum, it's, it's just hard to imagine that someone this strong isn't going to be annoying for him. Yeah, because that's the thing. Scott Holtzman's career has largely relied on him hanging in there. Um and just being like strong and durable and like waiting for his moments to get things done. And he's definitely getting to that point in his career where he's uh, just getting the fuck beaten out of him. Yeah, and the, the, like he beat Jim Miller just by sitting on him. Oh, yeah, that happened. And, but that was Jim um, Miller before he got his like kind of late career resurgence that he's on now. His weird old man power back. Um, and, you know, Clay Guida, he, he doesn't have the kind of dynamicism of, like, uh, Benil Dariush or Mateusz Gamrot to just be able to push Holtzman around and just knock him the fuck out. Um, and like you say, he he's going to just, like, work his ass off and keep going for takedowns against Holtzman, who's just pretty strong. So Clay could just, like, gas and give Holtzman a, a room to get into the fight. But I... <laughs> Obviously, we're going to ride for Clay Guida. Yeah, Clay hasn't had uh, like an an age showing loss yet, really. Um, the the worst thing he's done lately is he had a draw decision against Alex Caceres in a grappling match. That's like the biggest indictment he's really had lately, and that's still not even bad because you know what, Alex Caceres is fucking good. Yeah, and he, I, arguably, probably beat Marco Madsen. 
I agree. I wouldn't necessarily say he hasn't shown his age. Like, uh, I'm sure if you went back and watched Clay Guida's performances over, like, uh, Anthony Pettis or Rafael Dos Anjos back in the day, you'd be like, oh my God, who the fuck is that guy? It's really just that he was faster and he tried a lot harder. I think his actual skill set has only gotten better, and I think that his chin is about the same. I think he could keep the pace a lot better back then. Maybe. But no, I, I agree. He's 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 about as likely to get knocked out or submitted as he ever was. Yeah, his chin's always been good, but it's never been like ridiculous or anything. What's the thing? Like Holtzman doesn't even like. It's not even a guy who's famous for having a weird sprint submission, which is another way that Clay Guida loses all the time. Yeah, Clay doesn't like sprint submissions. He doesn't like upstrikes. Uh, he's kind of like just a more submittable Frankie Edgar that actually throws constantly. Uh, and like uses his insane cardio edge that he has over everyone. So, uh, I, I'm still going to pick Clay Guida, but yeah. it might be by decision. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm not going to be a pessimist. I'm not going to be a pessimist. I'm going to say Clay Guida uh, KO round one. Okay, and now for the weirdest of these three three fights: Michael Johnson versus Mark Jacasey. Um, I mean, for a start, how are you even supposed to uh, analyze a Michael Johnson fight ever? Although credit to you, you did actually pick Michael Johnson by knockout in his last. Well, uh, no, in the, uh, against uh, Alain Patrick. I feel like that was kind of easy, though. It's just slow guy that's also old versus a fast guy that's old. Yeah. Um, c- kind of had a banger with uh, Jamie Malarkey. Which also, not that informative as to where he's at in his career because Jamie Malarkey will just kind of have a war with anyone. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't really know how to fight any other way. Um, wait, shit, not Marjorie Casey's just gonna wrestle. Realistically, yeah, that's what we kind of what I was about to get at. Is, uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I kept thinking, oh, how's this striking dynamic gonna play out? And I'm like, oh yeah, Marjorie Casey. I mean, he always, he always had the wrestling in his back pocket. Uh, particularly, it was a thing that he would do coming up on the uh, UK regional circuit, where he was just a fucking terrifying physical presence and he he could just hoss people um particularly on like a, a regional circuit that isn't known for having a, a, a like a really strong wrestling background um then he kind of got to he kind of got to the UFC and had to fight just like uh solid anti-wrestlers like Dan Hooker um who 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 could just like Keep him repeatedly until he took bad shots in, in, into guillotines and stuff. But, you know, it's it, it was always kind of just a thing he did because he was like so dynamic he could do whatever he wanted and he would just do all of it. He would just try all of MMA. Um, now it seems to be just like the thing that he does because it, it's been a rough run for Mark Casey in the UFC uh, as it is for just like middling lightweight fighters because even as a kind of middling uh, lightweight fighter who I don't think ever got a ranking you still just have to fight absolute fucking monsters all the time yeah he had to fight vicious live Borshev recently who though not but there's also just a bunch of really fucking dangerous fighters in there that he held his own against 
Like, being able to wrestle Lando Venata is actually not nothing. That's pretty fucking impressive. Lando Venata is... It's one of his main actual, uh, like, pure skill sets that he is not really a meme fighter about. Is that that he'll just... he'll He's a good at defending takedowns, and he's just kind of getting, like, tricked into shit over and over, like, getting physically imposed against. I think at a certain point he was like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking wrestle. And that, that really has been the story of his last two performances against um, Demir Hazovic and Vyacheslav Borshev, uh, both eminently top playable guys. Kind of so is Michael Johnson. Like, in case he's not, he's not the most dangerous guy from top, but he can just fucking hold you there. <laughs> You're not winning the round. Really, if you think about it, you know, Mark Jacasey's kind of on a four-fight win streak if you don't count his uh like Michael Johnson's name isn't Raphael. He's so he's not gonna win. That's a good point. Because he point. Yeah, he, he took an L to Rafael Alves and Fiziv. So I, I'm just gonna count him as on a four fight win streak. Those are two incredibly fucking dynamic athletic dudes that uh can kick hard as fuck. And he didn't even get finished by Fazio. I don't even remember him getting particularly hurt that badly. It was more just him getting volumed. Yeah, and like getting blasted to the body. And like he actually kind of started getting into that fight the later it went. And and yep. the, the more he had just like let Fazio kind of gas out from beating the fuck out of him. And then Alves. Alves is one of the most like dangerous people in the sport right now he he can just fuck you up randomly because he's so explosive yeah he is so fucking fast and explosive in the first couple of minutes of a fight and he just caught your casey and, and choked him out shit happens not really an indictment whereas mj has had several career indictments in his last like five years or not career indictments but like age indictments i mean like, it doesn't erase how good he used to be, but it shows he is not who he used to be. Yeah, and like you say, you know, that 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 pick for him to KO Alain Patrick only was only so easy because, like, Patrick is, like you say, old and slow and terrified of being in striking range for any amount of time. So, like, the fact that Michael Johnson is terrified of wrestling was barely even able to come into play in that matchup Whereas Mark Jacasey, you know, he's he's still very fast and he can handle himself onto the fit on the feet, and he is gonna realize that he can just get takedowns whenever he wants them in this fight. And then Darren Elkins versus Jonathan Pierce. This is a cool fight because Jonathan Pierce just did a Darren Elkins performance. Although I guess most people who beat um Maquin Amakani, it is a Darren Elkins performance. Uh because that's just how you beat Maquin Amakani. Which is like I've been saying, you've got to make Darren Elkins versus Maquin Amakani. How the fuck has that fight never happened? But um I, we also need Darren Elkins versus Clay Guida. Yeah. Uh but like Jonathan Pierce. Jonathan Pierce is probably gonna win, right? Uh I I'm thinking so. I I don't really ever think I'm gonna pick Darren Elkins again. He looks so I'm gonna old. pick Darren Elkins if he gets matched matched up with Maquin Amakani, or maybe like Herbert Burns. But Jonathan Pierce, like, uh, people are always going to clown on him because he got dusted by the ghost of Joe Lozon. But he is, like, reasonably well put together and knows what he's doing. And he's a good grappler. And he's, like, probably in his athletic prime. And that's, that's enough to 
for me to pick someone to just be able to stay out ahead of Darren Elkins. Yeah, people also have forgotten that Joe Lozon's like good. Yeah, well, and and like also he, like he's, he's a very dangerous fighter. As I've said about that fight before as well, if you're gonna lose to old Joe Lozon, it's getting just knocked out in a minute. Like that's that, that that's Joe Lozon's win condition. So you know, it's not like he got consummately outclassed over three rounds by old Joe Lozon. No, nah, like he got dinged by a guy who can ding you. Yeah, and that's not what Darren Elkins does. Like I just I haven't seen the inherent breakability in Jonathan Pierce that Darren Elkins just needs his opponents to have for him to get into fights at this point. Yeah, so I'm going to say Jonathan Pierce by KO round one. That's fair. I think think I'm still going to say decision, but a pretty wide decision where he just doesn't let Darren Elkins get the Darren Elkins thing going. And uh, probably the last fight we're going to talk about on the card, Tracy Cortez versus Amanda Hivas. Oh, yeah, definitely the last fight on the card we're going to talk about. I don't know how much we're going to talk about it, but it is a good fight. Uh, Amanda Hivas probably going to win just on being, like, way fucking faster and being able to handle herself on the ground, right? Uh, I'm thinking maybe, but Hivas is just such a, like, a chin weirdo. Like, she might just get dinged by kind of anyone, and I wouldn't be surprised by it. I think Trace Cortez would be the most surprised I've ever been. It would be the most I've surprised, but she did also get dinged by, uh, was it Verna Janjaroba? Dinged pretty bad by Verna, yeah. Yeah, uh, who... Still kind of makes more sense, to be honest. Yeah. The other KOs... She's, uh, she's primarily a grappler, but she'll throw down and ding when she needs to. Throws um, full power. I, I feel like Tracy Cortez just uh, it just takes too much. She tries to be too yeah, she, technical. Like Ver, Ver, Verna knows when she needs to throw down, and like she's not a particularly quick strawweight, but she's still a strawweight. And I don't think Tracy Cort- Cortez is a particularly quick flyweight. And, until I see something to prove otherwise, it seems like Cortez is flatly just like handicapping her own ability to land hard because her mechanics are so focused on feeling like tight and controlled and not really overextending herself. But overextending yourself is not really that bad of a thing against Minhivas. Sometimes you just like throw away a big shot and then throw a bigger shot. No, and sometimes you just got to throw the punch. I, I feel like if Tracy Cortez just decided, you know what? I'm going to try... The shot that John Lineker knocked out Bibiana Fernandez with. I think that would actually knock her out a good 70% of the time. But she's not going to. Yeah, but can, can you imagine Tracy Cortez throw, throwing the John Lineker combination? Yeah, just like whiff a right hand to the body and then throw like a blasting left hook to the head. And like talk your entire fucking body into it. Yeah, just so Tracy Cortez doesn't have the, the mechanics to really do that. And Hebos gets fucked up by shots that either surprise her really badly because her awareness isn't what it you'd hope it to be or people that are genuinely hard hitters. Yeah. But I, I think it's a pretty easy pick in this fight for Amanda Hebush to just like work boxing combinations and kicks and just win scrambles whenever Cortez tries to get it to the ground. Or Hebush might just like also out grapple Cortez. She doesn't just need to grapple defensively. It just seems like the thing to do in the matchup. Just do the performance that she did against Mackenzie Dern against someone who is less instantaneously dangerous on the ground than Mackenzie Dern, and also just like 
cleaner but less insistent and aggressive on the feet. That is also where I'm going to be. I, I, I'm just going to say he was. So that's basically that card. We talked about it for way longer than I thought we were going to. It's a pretty good card. It's very densely packed. Yeah, and it, it's like... It, it, the, the, the closer you look at it, the more it draws you in, definitely. Yeah, I'm genuinely excited for every single fight on the card. Uh, Pretty much. Even... Ex- uh, like, even... Eric Anders versus Kyle Dawkins, which I think is going to be the highest likelihood of being a boring fight. The first three fights on the card are good. We're just not going to talk about them because they're they're not particularly important. And I wouldn't know the first thing to say about some of them. No, but I I, I, like, I like Estela Nunes, t- tiny Brazilian Muay Thai girl who gets out wrestled. That's a it's an archetype that I'll always ride for. If you enjoyed this podcast and all the other great stuff that the fight site puts out, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Pledge of just $5 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content, uh, as well as access to a Discord server where we have a great community uh, full of really cool fight fans who are great to talk to. We're always uh, having great discussions, hanging out, watching fights. You can come talk to staff, ask us questions. Uh, Also, please consider supporting... Fight site uh, editor and contributor Iggy or Tumin, I'm sure you all know, uh, is going through a rough time trying to get out of Russia. Whereas we all know things are seriously fucked up at the minute. Uh, he's got a Ko-Fi fundraiser uh, to try and help with um, all of the legal fees and everything that it's going to take for him to be able to emigrate. Um, go check that out on, uh, I believe it's Ko-Fi slash Iggy TFS. It's been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. You can catch us next week where we're going to be uh, recapping any cool shit that happens from the card we just talked about, as well as UFC 282, which is now Jan Blachowicz versus Magomed Ankalaev for the the vacant light heavyweight championship. Uh, We'll see you then. Peace. Later.